Sergeant and Mrs. Smith, you are going to love this house. Is that a tub in the kitchen? There's no field manual for finding the right home. But when you do, USAA Homeowners Insurance can help protect it the right way. Restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. In the beginning, the universe was chaos. Darkness swirled through unending space, and the heavens and the earth were as one. Out of this darkness, a cosmic egg was formed, and inside this egg, Pongu was born. For 18,000 years, he slept in its embrace as yin and yang slowly found their perfect balance. When these two opposing forces of the universe were finally in perfect harmony, Pangu, the first man, awoke. The dark cosmic egg cracked as he stirred, pushing his arms up and his legs down. Yin and yang were suddenly split. And out of the formless cosmos came two separate planes, the heavens above Pangu's arms and the earth below his feet. As Pangu grew, he stretched his arms up and his legs down, spreading them further and further apart. Pangu was strong, but this work was difficult. Luckily, four beasts arrived to assist him, the dragon, the tortoise, the phoenix, and the chilean. They continued to push heaven and earth apart for 18,000 years. But as the 18,000th year drew to a close, Pangu knew he would soon die. And so he gathered his animal companions around him and explained the future. His enormous body would give the shape to the earth below. His blood would make its rivers, his hair its forests, his breath would make the wind, his sweat the rain, and the fleas across his corpse would make more humans like himself and a million different animals. The four magic beasts who had helped Pangu shape the universe would rule over these new animals. As Pangu tumbled to the earth's floor, he gave each of them a title. The dragon would be the lord of scaly animals, the tortoise the lord of shelled animals, 
the phoenix, the lord of birds, and the chilene, the lord of furry quadrupeds. Welcome to Mythical Monsters, a ParCast original. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Every week, we dive into history's most legendary monsters. In telling their stories, we hope to shed light on some truths hidden behind the creation of these beasts, where they come from, what they symbolize, and how they expose humanity's greatest fears. You can find episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Mythical Monsters for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Mythical Monsters in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. And if you enjoy today's episode, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help us. Today we're discussing the Chilin, one of the four benevolent beasts of Chinese mythology. It's a chimeric beast with an appearance that ranges from something resembling a unicorn to a dragon-headed, ox-tailed, tiger-bodied creature. But in all its forms, it's considered the lord of the quadrupeds, or four-footed creatures, and it's always a symbol of good things to come. The Chilin's role in the Pangu creation myth hints at the fact that this benevolent beast has been a part of Chinese mythology for millennia. Its first appearance in writing dates back to sometime around the 4th century BCE. In the Zhouzhuan, an ancient text on Chinese history, like the Pangu creation story, the Zhouzhuan presents the Qilin as a benevolent beast who symbolizes positive change. This tale is yet another creation story of a very different kind. The story is set sometime around 2697 BCE in the garden of Wang Di, the legendary Yellow Emperor. The Yellow Emperor sat in his garden, still as the rocks around him. His long beard trembled in the soft breeze, but his chest moved so minutely that it appeared as if he wasn't breathing at all. The attendants watching the garden, however, knew better than to worry. The emperor was meditating. A bird landed on the tree beside the emperor, breaking his focus. He smiled at the creature, curiously observing its ruffling feathers and sinewy feet. He knew well that many lessons could be drawn from the natural world, if one only knew where to look. But then he sighed, frustrated. Neither his meditations nor his observations of nature had given him the answers he was so desperately seeking. He needed a way to communicate with his growing empire and to help his people grow into the wise subjects he knew they could be, if they were educated. 
but there simply weren't enough wise men to teach everyone across his increasingly sprawling territory. If he couldn't find a solution, it was only a matter of time before his far-flung provinces devolved into violence and disorder. Luckily for the emperor, however, a bird wouldn't be the only creature to visit his garden that afternoon. With a flying leap, a hooved animal soared over the garden walls. The beast landed mere feet from the emperor, shaking the wise man's composure. He staggered backward in alarm. This was no normal creature. It had the monstrous face of a dragon, the body of a horse, and the tail of an ox. Its hide glimmered with blue and green scales, and a single horn sprouted from its forehead. There was a strange grace to this chimeric monster, but the emperor, taking in each disparate aspect of its body, was in no mood to appreciate its elegance. His entire body quivered in fear. His mind raced through his preparations for death. He had begun the task of acceptance, but he wasn't ready. His empire needed him. Today was not his day to die. He opened his mouth to yell for his attendants, his lungs filling with air, when he noticed the creature's hooves. It seemed almost as if they floated above the ground, not a blade of grass bent in their wake. As soon as the yellow emperor noticed those delicate hooves, his yell turned to a gasp. Then he bowed. This was the Chilean. He had heard of this mythical creature, present at the very birth of the world and the lord of every four-legged beast that crawled its surface. He knew that it was gentle, so gentle that it never crushed even a blade of grass, nor ate a single bug, and he knew that to receive its visit was a rare privilege. It boded good luck and prosperity. And so the Yellow Emperor pushed aside his fear and stood to look the Chilean in the eye. The beast stared back at the Emperor, holding the venerable man's gaze for what felt like an eternity. Suddenly, he felt a pleasant warmth wash over him, pervading his entire being with a sense of spiritual calm. He felt calmer and happier than he had since childhood in his own mother's arms, and he was a man with a tranquil soul. The emperor's attendants, meanwhile, gazed out at their lord without seeing the Chilean by his side. All they saw was the emperor standing in the center of the garden, an expression of tranquility on his face. Something moved at the edges of the emperor's vision, pulling him out of his trance-like joy. Amongst the shimmering scales decorating the Chilean's back were several shifting, flashing symbols. The beast lowered its monstrous head, and it seemed to the yellow emperor that it was beckoning him closer. It wanted him to look at these symbols, he realized, and so he approached, 
his wonder suddenly paired with curiosity. He had to squint to make out the elegant lines beneath the light, but when he reached out and touched the Chilene's scaled hide, the light went black and the lines stopped moving. They became solid and clear, shaped in distinctive, firm patterns. They were beautiful. The emperor was enthralled. But he had no idea what he was looking at. The Chilene, with a buck of its strange head, turned the emperor's attention to a small stone slab and knife lying on the garden floor. And the emperor, as if by magic, understood what the creature wanted. He retrieved the stone and the knife and began to painstakingly scratch into the stone, copying the symbols on the Chilene's back. As the emperor carved, the Chilene's voice rang out soft and smooth inside his mind, as clear as any sound he'd heard before. It explained that these symbols would allow the Yellow Emperor and his people to record their thoughts and words, to communicate clearly across great distances. They would allow them to become a truly great society, both powerful and wise. The lines were the first written language, and written language could transmit ideas. Meaning was embedded in the angles and curves of every letter. Through the long years of history, those letters would preserve knowledge and stories, including the legend of the Yellow Emperor. The Emperor rose as the Chilene's voice gave its final stately echo. With another bow, he gave the only response he could in the face of such a gift. He assured the Chilene that humanity would always remember its kindness. With the language the creature had gifted him, he would spread the word of its generosity. And he would strive to do this awesome gift justice. He would use it to improve the lives of his people and create the greatest empire the world had ever seen. With a deep bow, he showed the Chilene his copies of the symbols, and the Chilene nodded, satisfied. Then the letters on the Chilene's back faded. They had done their job. With a leap, the creature bounded over the garden wall and disappeared into the sky. The Yellow Emperor would never see him again. The Chilene had the forests and the beasts that lived within them to watch over. Appearances of the Chilene in the mythical record are few and far between. Its visit to the Yellow Emperor was as rare as it was crucial for Chinese culture. In a society that places a high value on scholarship and intellectual prowess, the origin story of language is monumentally important. It's no surprise that the same beast which helped create the universe also helped man create written language. The Chilene would always come back to humanity when the world needed more wisdom. But the Chilene's visits to the human world weren't always so pleasant for everyone involved. Sometimes wisdom demanded violence. 
Coming up, the Chilean pays another visit to the world of men, a visit marked by bloodshed. This episode is brought to you by Bai. It's Wonder Water. What makes Bai so great? It's simple. From raspberry lemon lime by Sydney Sweeney to Zambia Bing cherry and Palavo pineapple mango, Bai has antioxidants, electrolytes, and no artificial sweeteners. So for flavorful hydration, choose Bai. It's Wonder Water. Learn more about Bai and discover all of the exotic, bold flavors at drinkbai.com. Now back to the story. The Chilean was present at the beginning of the world and designated lord of all the four-legged beasts of the forests. And around 2697 BCE, it made an appearance in the Garden of the Yellow Emperor. This visit brought written language to China and helped with the development of human wisdom. The Yellow Emperor, a mythical ruler who was likely based on a real ancient emperor, is a legendary figure in his own right, and it would take another such legendary, quasi-historical leader to warrant the next appearance of the Chilean in Chinese mythology, Emperor Yao, who ruled around 2300 BCE. Like the Yellow Emperor, Emperor Yao was famous for his wisdom, but he had a powerful wise man helping him to administer justice called Gao Yao. And Gao Yao needed some help to figure out the wisest way to dispense law in the empire. Gao Yao sat in his chair in the throne room, ignoring the babbling courtiers as he pondered the case before him. A man stood accused of murder. If he was guilty, he had to face justice. But there was no clear proof. And if he was guilty, what punishment should he receive? Did the blood he had spilled demand blood in turn? The most learned men in the kingdom had bickered on the subject for days and had not been able to come to an agreement. Even Gao Yao wasn't sure of the wisest answer. He hesitated at the crossroads before him, tapping his fingers as he ran through each element of the case in his mind. But then... A strange clicking sound cut through the babble of the court, breaking Gao Yao's concentration. He raised his head in annoyance, expecting to find a stray pig running through the hall or a child playing some irritating game. But the reality was much more alarming. Standing before him on the marble floor was the strangest sight he had ever seen. It was a beast... But not just any beast. It had the head and body of a horse, a single horn protruding from its forehead, and it was covered in a tiger's fur. Gao Yao stared in astonishment. But as the beast shook its silvery mane, Gao Yao felt its radiant energy wash over him. It was like a perfect dream he'd never had, or a pure love he'd never felt. He wanted to both laugh and cry, to fall to his knees and run in circles. Gao Yao was a learned man. He knew that only one creature could make him feel this way. It was the Chilean. 
Gao Yao sank to his knees in a deep bow. In a reverent voice, he bade the creature welcome. Then he cautiously asked why it had chosen to honor the court with its presence. The Chilin responded with a joyful neigh, sending its words into Gao Yao's mind. Bring the accused before me. I will judge his innocence and deliver his punishment if he is guilty. Gao Yao nodded at the beast and bade his soldiers bring the accused man forward. He watched intently, eager to see what judgment the Chilin would make and what punishment would befall the prisoner if he was guilty. The soldiers brought forth the prisoner. His eyes darted across the court, full of alarm. His body quivered and convulsed. He was the very picture of fear. As the Chilin turned to face him, he yelled and fell to his knees, writhing before the beast. Its magical glow, it seemed, was not warming the prisoner's soul. Without a moment of hesitation, the Chilin lowered its head and charged. Gao Yao gasped in horrified astonishment as the Chilin's horn pierced through the prisoner's stomach in one instantaneous motion. He felt faint as the horn emerged on the other side of the prisoner's torso, covered in vibrant red blood. The Chilin raised its head with a violent swoop, the prisoner still skewered on its horn. With an elegant whirl, it turned towards Gao Yao and tossed the body at his feet. A soft voice whispered in Gao Yao's mind like a chime. This man was guilty. The price for his crime was blood. If it was left unpaid, he would have killed again. With that, the Chilin galloped away, but it wouldn't be the last time he helped Gao Yao administer Emperor Yao's justice. When he judged the innocent, they walked free, but the wicked always met with death. At first, Gao Yao was shocked that the most gentle creature in the world dispensed such violent justice. But he knew that the Chilin was a beast of wise joy, not foolhardy happiness, and he trusted its judgment over the vagaries of human opinions. Blood spilled in his court would demand blood in return. A harsh justice, but as the Chilin had shown, a wise one. The tale of Gao Yao and the Chilin presented a new iteration of the monster. He was significantly different from the Chilin who gave the gift of writing to the Yellow Emperor just a few centuries before. While that beast was so gentle it wouldn't step on a blade of grass, this Chilin was willing to dirty its horn with blood in the name of justice. Goodness in Chinese mythology is a complex thing. It lies somewhere between gentle and harsh versions of wisdom, between the soft hand of mercy and the firm hand of law. The Chilin falls right at the center of those crossroads, 
often gentle, sometimes harsh, it always points the way toward wisdom and order. Over the coming centuries, the creature would slip in and out of the mythological register at moments when humanity needed a bit of extra wisdom. Often it served as a herald of the birth of an illustrious ruler, figures who were wise and gentle, but who also had to carry out harsh justice. Over a thousand years after the death of Gao Yao, a Chilin would once again visit mankind. Like its meeting with the Yellow Emperor, this visit would change the course of human history by ushering in another intellectual revolution. The year was 551 BCE, and Zheng Zai was very pregnant. Her feet were propped up on a stool as the bustling village carried on around her. She closed her eyes, hoping for a moment of peace. This baby was a quiet one, but it weighed on her, as if it had some monumental heft to its tiny body. It worried her. Something, she feared, was wrong with her unborn child. Zheng Zai's sister entered the room and looked at her with a raised brow. Wordlessly, she grasped Zheng Zai's hand and led her out of the house. She had never quite understood what Zheng Zai meant when she said this baby was extraordinarily heavy. But she did know that nature helped ease the difficulty of the pregnancy. It was time for a walk amongst the rice paddies and the quiet of their still waters. Zheng Zai sighed and brushed off her sister's hand, but she relented. A walk would help. The morning breeze washed across the still rice paddies and the bobbing hats of the workers in the field. Zheng Zai made her way further and further from town, worrying all the way. What was going on in her belly? She sometimes wondered if there was even a baby in there at all. Perhaps it was a great boulder, or even some heavy, evil beast. Her heart pounded with anxiety, and she pushed the dark image away. She couldn't think like that. Why would she birth a monster after all? She was a good woman. She glanced up at the wilderness around her. Normally, it would calm her, but today it seemed her anxieties were too great to push aside. Arriving at a bamboo grove, Zheng Zai sank to her knees, exhausted by the endless wheels turning in her mind. Perhaps a nap would help. Zheng Zai lay down and closed her eyes, but still the anxiety persisted. Something, she worried, was going to go horribly wrong. This baby was a demon. Her husband would abandon her when it was born. Her family would scorn her. Evil permeated her being. That was what was happening with this pregnancy. Zheng Zai broke out in sobs. Her body shivered and shook. But then, a mighty gust of wind interrupted her panic. The gentle rustling of the bamboo leaves above her turned into a raucous dance. 
Her long hair began to whip around her, and her clothes began to swirl every which way. She wiped her eyes, confused and distracted by this odd storm. It had come out of nowhere. But then, as suddenly as it arrived, the storm disappeared, and out of the quiet mists stepped the strangest creature Zheng Zai had ever seen. Its neck and head were slim and elegant, like an emperor's horse, and from its forehead sprung a long horn. Its feet were hooved, its body covered in scales, and its tail was that of an ox. Zheng Zai felt an odd sensation of calm in the face of this beast. Her anxieties had vanished, as if they had never existed. Her belly felt lighter than it had since the day she became pregnant, lighter even than when she walked amongst the rice paddies or lay beneath the bamboo trees. So light, she felt nimble as a child, as if she could leap through the air and land yards away without crushing the grass beneath her feet. This creature, she knew, represented something good. Narrowing her eyes, she stretched out her palm to the beast, trying to understand why it was here. It stepped forward, gently pressing its nose into her hand. Zheng Zai had never felt anything so soft. She laughed with delight. After a moment of hesitation, she loosened a white ribbon from her hair and tied it around the beast's horn, an offering of friendship. She had no idea what the creature was, but when it whinnied in response to her gift, Zheng Zai wrapped her arms around its neck. She felt happy peaceful, balanced. Like the strong bamboo stalks above her, she knew she could withstand any wind. She was one with both the air above and the earth beneath her feet. Meanwhile, the beast seemed to be as happy in Zhang Zai's presence as she was in its warm glow. The creature sank to its knees, and Zhang Zai lay beside it, resting against its warm, scaly body. She closed her eyes and drifted off to sleep. Zheng Zai awoke some time later to the soft coughing of the creature. Startled, she sat up, stroking its head as the coughs turned into increasingly violent wretches. What was ailing the beast? It seemed as if something was stuck in its throat, Zheng Zai's heart hurt. She wanted to help it, but she was no healer. She frantically thought back to the men and women she'd seen tending to sick animals, but could think of nothing that might help. Then, in desperation, she started striking the back of the creature's neck with her open palm. The retching became more desperate and violent. Something was coming up. It was working. With a final wretch, the creature spit up a green lump. Still gasping from exertion and fear, Zheng Zai hugged the creature's neck and buried her face in its silky mane. As its quaking subsided, she turned her attention to the green object on the ground. 
She wondered what in the world it could be. The beast gestured wearily toward the object with its velvety nose. It was for her, it seemed. She picked up the item and wiped the bile from its smooth surface. She was shocked to find the object was made of jade. Jade, the most precious of stones, represented many virtues, benevolence, justice, truth, credibility, morality, and intelligence, amongst others. And it was as valuable as it was meaningful. What was it doing in this beast's stomach? But there was more to the piece of jade. It was a tablet, carved into its surface in sharp, elegant characters, was a message that would change everything for Zheng Zai and for all of China. Coming up, we'll hear about the message on the mysterious jade tablet. Now back to the story. According to Chinese legend, in 551 BCE, Zheng Zai, a pregnant village woman, was visited by a strange horned beast. The creature lay by her side and provided her some relief from her difficult pregnancy. Then it coughed up a jade tablet. Inscribed on the tablet's side was a message. Your son will be a great man, a throneless king. Zheng Zai was astonished by the tablet and its pronouncement, but quickly she realized this prophecy made perfect sense. Her baby's weight was so great because of the symbolic weight his person would carry in adulthood. And this creature, this creature which brought her such comfort, he must be a Chilin, the benevolent monster who came to herald the birth of a great ruler. Only this time, the ruler was a king without a nation. And he was her very own son, the baby she would name Confucius. Confucius is one of the most influential thinkers in all of China's history, a politician as well as a scholar and teacher during his lifetime, he's believed to have lived between 551 and 479 BCE. While the details of his life are debated by historians, his teachings have had a clear and indelible influence on Chinese culture and thought. Confucius's impact has been compared to that of Socrates in the West. Many of his ideas about society, government, and the ideal man are still studied today and live on in the philosophy of Confucianism. While he wasn't born into power, like most whose births were marked by the Qilin, Confucius's influence on Chinese society would surpass that of almost any ruler. So it's no surprise that the mythical monster of good tidings and wisdom would alert Zheng Zai of his imminent birth. But Zheng Zai's tale isn't the only story involving Confucius and the Qilin. Many years later, the lord of furry quadrupeds would cross paths with the great philosopher a second time. In the twilight of a spring day in 479 BCE, 
Confucius was in his study, the tip of his pen flew gracefully over a slip of parchment. His wrinkled hands were accustomed to this work. It was second nature by now, after so many years. Dip, write, dip, write, etching each thought onto the page. The sound of the fountain in the garden helped his thoughts flow as he pondered Ren, one of the central concepts of his life's work. Ren meant compassion or loving others. Confucius had found no higher purpose than to cultivate this practice. One of Confucius's followers entered with a bow and waited for permission to speak. Confucius put down his writing pen and nodded to the young man. The student explained that he had heard troubling news. A Chilin had been injured and captured by a charioteer. The monster, he explained softly, was so wise and good that he thought Confucius might be interested in intervening. Confucius thanked his student, rose, and left his quiet study for the busy streets. The streets were dusty and the populace loud, but Confucius's calm determination was unshaken by the chaos. He walked purposefully toward the stable of the charioteer, where the injured Chilin was being held captive. With a sharp knock on the wooden door, Confucius demanded entry to the stable. The stable boys had instructions to let no one pass, but they were so shocked to see this great man in their humble workplace that they stood aside without thinking. Confucius blew past them, instinctively moving toward the last stall in the stable. There, lying on the hay, was the Chilin. The beast lay in the corner, its silvery blood crusted around an open wound. The creature was on the verge of death. Its soft, creaking whinny confirmed this. It was an evil tableau. Something so good and magical brought low by a proud man's weapon. Confucius's heart ached. He lay down on the ground beside the beast, despite his status and his age, and stroked it, just as his mother had once done. Then he noticed a white ribbon tied around the Chilin's horn, He'd heard his mother's story about the creature that predicted his birth too many times to forget it, including the fact that she'd gifted the beast a white ribbon. This was, he realized in awe, the very same Chilin that had appeared to his mother all those years ago. It was a connection with enormous consequences. He knew that just as the Chilin's appearance to his mother had predicted his birth, its death foreshadowed a new phase for him, too. He lay meditating beside the beast as it took its final, shuddering breaths. It was time to prepare, for after the beast died, he knew, so would he. Confucius kissed the dead creature, sorrow permeating his body as he rose to leave the stall. He would prepare himself for death peacefully, meditating and bidding his family and students goodbye. 
The wise, mythical Chilin bookends the story of the equally wise, if less magical, Confucius. Their interwoven stories are appropriate, just as the Chilin was present at the creation of the universe and at the creation of the written word. It was present once more for an epic moment of intellectual revolution. According to the mythical record, Confucius was not the last great man to see a Chilin. That would be Emperor Wudi, born around 156 BCE. But the great philosopher's link to the Chilin is perhaps the most enduring one, thanks to Confucius's own powerful legacy of goodness and wisdom. Ancient Chinese history is more preoccupied with wise men and scholars than Western mythology, which tends to focus on military heroes. Perhaps it's no surprise that Chinese culture thus birthed the Chilin, the monster equivalent of a wise man. But the Chilin story doesn't end with ancient mythical history. In the early 1400s, almost 2,000 years after the death of Confucius, the Yongle Emperor sponsored what is now called China's Golden Age of Exploration. This included trips to Africa, and many of the voyages led to the capture of exotic animals. They were then presented to the emperor as gifts. One of these animals was supposedly a chilin. Its neck was long and slim, as elegant as the mythical beasts. Its head was horned, although it had two horns, not one. Its hooves were cloven, and its coat was colorful, just like some iterations of the chilin. It was golden, covered all over with chocolatey brown spots. The Yangla Emperor almost certainly knew this beast was no magical Chilin, although it was strange and beautiful. Even the sailors were likely unconvinced that it was a magical monster. But the Emperor and the sailors also knew what a powerful symbol the Chilin was, foreshadowing success and indicating wisdom and power for China's ruler. Even millennia after it was last seen, the mythical Chilin still carried a hefty symbolic weight. The Yongle Emperor had his court artist paint the creature so all the world could see his pet Chilin. Today, we know it as a giraffe. The Chilin of ancient Chinese mythology was almost certainly not a giraffe, nor any other real animal. The Chilin was a powerful symbol, not just of gentle goodness, although it often represented those things, but of wisdom in all its forms, even the violent ones. Applying such a symbol to important cultural moments gives those moments clear significance. That's the power of a symbol. As soon as someone familiar with its significance sees that symbol in a story, they knew what the story is trying to convey. So introducing the Chilin to the origin story for written language helps show the enormous significance of the written word in the human quest for knowledge and greater understanding. 
Introducing the monster to Gao Yao story about the development of law and justice helps illustrate the importance of those questions in building a wise, successful society, and tying the creature to Confucius's birth and death narratives underscores the almost magical significance of the thinker's wisdom. Symbols are a powerful thing, all the more so when they come in such a fascinating chimeric package. A hooved beast, born along with the universe itself, the lord of every furry, four-legged creature. Thanks for listening to Mythical Monsters. We'll be back next week with a new episode. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Mythical Monsters, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Mythical Monsters on Spotify, just open the app and type Mythical Monsters in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. I'll see you next time. Mythical Monsters was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. It's executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, Travis Clark, and Joel Stein. This episode of Mythical Monsters was written by Nora Battelle, with writing assistance by Maggie Admire. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Mythical Monsters.